welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm Gabrielle Lawson, Philippe de Lamatroc, and Ina Coriel. And we've been reading my... Hmm, how shall I turn this? The story that took me the longest to write. <laughs> but I wasn't writing it continuously, unlike Alien Us, which did take me ten years. But uh, The Honored was on the back burner for 23 years after Chapter 2. So, we've read chapter 1 and 2, and the prologue, so um, the next is chapter 3. This will be the newer stuff that I started writing in 2020, after I started this podcast and read If It's Not One Thing, and got reacquainted with Dr. Bashir. So, now we're ready for chapter 3. Star Trek Deep Space Nine, The Honored, by Gabrielle Lawson. Chapter 3. Jarish Kessa arrived before the new doctor, but Captain Sisko was there to meet him at the airlock. He was a major, just like Kira when she'd first been assigned to the station. He was short like she was and had red hair like her, but the similarities ended there. He was smiling when he stepped out of the airlock. He stood at attention and saluted. Sisko appreciated formality, but didn't think a salute was necessary. Still, he saluted back, if only to end the formalities. Welcome aboard, Major Jarish. He extended a hand, which the Bajoran took. It's a pleasure, emissary. The man was practically floating. Captain will do fine, Major, Sisko reminded him, especially when neither of us is on duty. Jaresh looked stricken. I'm sorry, Captain, he pleaded. Please forgive me. Sisko sighed inwardly, but didn't let it show. Not like Kira at all, he thought. Nothing to forgive, he said. I am the emissary. It just makes it hard to get things done. For practical reasons, I'm Captain. Understood, sir. That out of the way, Sisko continued with the introductions. The rest of the senior staff, except the chief medical officer, of course, were there with him. This is my strategic operations officer, Lieutenant Commander Worf. Worf bowed his head slightly. Major? Jarish swallowed as he looked up at the Klingon. Nice to meet you, he offered timidly. Sisko tried not to smile. He motioned toward Odo. Chief of Security Odo. Odo also nodded his, his head. He made no move to take the hand that Jarish offered. His own were behind his back. Polite, but cold, Sisko assessed. To be expected, I suppose, he thought. It was better than Worf had acted when Esri came aboard. Esri offered his, her own hand and her own introduction. Esri Dax, station counselor. She was smiling and bubbly. Leave it to Dax. Sisko was glad she was there. Replacements were a part of duty, but it was hard when someone was replacing a friend, harder still when they were replacing a lover. O'Brien was next. Our chief of operations, Sisko introduced him, Miles O'Brien. The Irishman was polite and took the man's hand, but said nothing. He hadn't said much since the Defiant returned, anyway. Sisko imagined it would be worse when the new doctor came aboard. Mafuma was his name. He was scheduled to arrive the day after tomorrow, nearly fresh from Starfleet, medical. Sisko smiled at that. It had worked out well once before. Perhaps it would again. Tarlingan arrived early the next morning if the chronometer was accurate. Bashir hadn't once felt tired or sleepy. Part and parcel for being honored, it seemed. Kira had yawned a few times, but Bashir knew it was from boredom, not weariness. Despite the event of the previous day and the completely alien culture they'd been transplanted to, Bashir felt he was in his element. Medicine was not a drudgery to him, not a chore. It challenged him, excited him, consumed him, and kept his mind off other things. Kira, though, was a soldier, an administrator, a leader, but not a scientist. The incremental steps and methodic pace of experimentation was an exercise in sheer tedium. Still, she was as stuck here as he was, and just as unneedful of sleep, so she had let Bashir assign her to tasks that didn't require interpretation of data, but the mere collection of it. And though she had taken on those tasks without even one complaint, she had yawned. So while they worked, they talked about what Kira had seen of Gidar, about what Bashir had learned of the leader, as the hours, glyph, dragged on, about their lives up to this point, and then how they wanted to get back home to DS9. When Tarlingan arrived, Bashir was glad for it. It wasn't that he hadn't appreciated the conversation or enjoyed the work, but he welcomed the change of scenery her presence foretold. Kira pushed herself away from the table with enthusiasm and returned the bow Tarlingan greeted them with. Have you a cure, healer? 
Tarlingan asked, getting right to the point. Bashir raised his eyebrows at her question. I'm a doctor, he told her, not a magician. He turned his back on her to retrieve the pad with his notes. Nor am I a miracle worker, despite the fact that I was murdered yesterday and am now standing in the royal palace on the enigmatic Ghidari homeworld and privy to its many secrets. Then your meeting with the leader was productive, at least, Tarlingan replied, with not even the slightest hint of offense or sense of humor. Have you found anything? Bashir handed her the pad. I was able to isolate the viral pathogen and compare it to the one found on Teflon 3. It is... It is the same, then, she asked, turning the pad in her hands as if trying to decipher its secrets. To an untrained eye, perhaps, Bashir answered as he leaned back against the table. But there are significant differences. The original virus was may not have even survived the environment here. A few days in your sun would have at least inhibited its replication rate. It has been altered for the unique conditions of Gidar and Gidari physiology. If you do not find a cure, Tarling had said as she handed the pad back to the doctor, the leader will die. Yes, Bashir agreed, but I didn't find a cure on Teflon 3 either. I had months. Now I have a week. So what happens if I fail? We are Gidari, Tarlingan stated, straightening even taller. We will go on. A new leader will be chosen, and we will make the enemy pay dearly for this attack upon us. Bashir nodded, feeling quite sure they would, and could, do just that. And how, then, would the war go with the unknown might of, of Gidar on their side? He really wanted to be around to see that. I believe the leader will still be healthy for another few months. We will have more time to study. We have only the time that you have. He, she met his gaze without blinking those ominous white eyes. We cannot allow this plague to spread. So you'd kill her? He challenged, just like that. What of your government? There is always an error, Tarlingan replied. Our leader herself decreed this. No more Gidari were to die of this. She will be the last if she must. Bashir nodded. Having met her, he knew she would order such a thing, as the Trill had sacrificed herself for her symbiont so long ago, so the leader would sacrifice herself for her people. He wondered, then, if Tarlingan knew why the leader was different, and, if so, why she hadn't asked a very important question. "'There's no way, then,' Kira said, finally speaking up, "'that the blight can be spread to the successor?' Bashir curved his lips in just a hint of a smile at her subtlety, and he watched their liaison for her reaction. He was disappointed. "'Our healers were not infected until spending fourteen glyph with the leader, and we will take precautions.' Tarlingan then turned back to Bashir. You will see the leader again in one glyph. You can find the way? Bashir nodded. He mentally pictured the winding path, thankful for the near photographic memory his enhancements afforded. Good, Tarlingan said, nodding once before turning to face Kira. I would like to take you to the market. Perhaps there is something from the valleys that is not on the mountain. Kira brightened instantly, having been offered a diversion from her boredom. I'll get the basket. Take this with you, Bashir said as he dropped one small squirming bag into the basket and release it. It is not necessary, Tarlingan interjected. There are many others. There is no reason to keep it, Bashir held. I've got all I need from it. Tarlingan eyed him for a moment and then bowed. As you wish, it shall be done. Bashir returned the bow but shared a look with Kira before she left that the, with the Gyodari Leitner. Perhaps they could get back to DS9, honored as they were. Captain Sisko stood at the podium, feeling the weight of command extra heavily. The warhead hit home again, and in such a personal way. Well, hadn't that been the way with Jadzia, too, he thought? Then he pushed that thought away. It was past Jadzia's time. It was time for Nerys and Julian. When I first came here, he told the gathered crowd, I didn't want to be here, and that was the only thing Kira, Nerys, and I agreed on. Somehow, through these years, I've got come to call this station my home, and Nerys a trusted, beloved friend. She was forthright and strong, but the occupation had not completely killed her compassion or hardened her heart. I changed, she changed, and the galaxy changed around us. In the end, she was one hell of an officer, a credit to Bejor, and one to whom I trusted this station and this command should I have fallen. She fell instead, and though we have found someone to fill her post, we shall find no one else truly worthy to replace her. We cannot commit her body to the soil, but we can commit her spirit to the prophets.
Colonel Kira Norris was above all a woman of honor, of loyalty, of service, and of faith. Vedic Varda took over then, and the captain and emissary tried to pay attention. He couldn't. His thoughts were drawn back to her just before she had left the, the, on that mission. She'd stood in his office, determined to go with Julian. It's a medical problem, Colonel, he'd reminded her. And Julian is not a junior officer. It's no more than a few hours there and back. A lot can happen in a few hours, she'd retorted, especially to him, and usually when he's alone. Besides, he's been replaced, what, three times now? Can you afford to send anyone off alone in a runabout like that while we're at war? Why not someone from security then? Maybe because I'm concerned for him, she'd replied, sinking down into one of the chairs. And he's concerned too, and just too stubborn to admit it. He could use more than an escort, Captain. He could use a friend. She'd persuaded him, and she was right. There had been a reason for concern, and he'd been callous to overlook it. But now she was gone, and so was the one he had kept overlooking. The Vedic was finished, and now it was Julian's turn. Dr. Julian Bashir was a brilliant physician. Some may say he came by that illegitimately, but there was more to him than his genetic enhancements made him. He had a devotion to his patients unmatched by any doctor I've ever met, a determination to do what is right even at his own peril. He had an idealism that no adversity could ever quash, even if it darkened for a time. He was gifted, not just in intelligence or stamina, but in light. Light is what he brought to the station. Light is what he brought to a Cardassian tailor who no one could befriend, to internment camp 371, to his crew, though besieged by war and tragedy. Light is what he brought even to Auschwitz, where he suffered for nearly two months. Max Zeidel, the only one of his camp friends to survive the war and who didn't know that Julian was a man from the future, wrote this about Der Englander, as he was called. He was a strange man. I can't explain why we were friends. We could barely communicate, and not at all without a translator. Vladi refended him in near silence on the train from Bialystok and couldn't explain why either, except that Bashir seemed to know something. I befriended Vladya and Bashir by association then. And when Vladi was gone, the bond between Bashir and I didn't break. And why? He was a doctor, yes, but he more often needed care than gave it to others. And he was singled out for punishment and favor by an SS officer. Why would I associate with such a dangerous man? Why do I miss him even now? Maybe because Vladya was right. He knew something. And maybe because he didn't flaunt it, didn't hold it like a prize or a badge to buy him privilege. He didn't rage that he didn't belong. He didn't cry foul that he wasn't even Jewish, that he didn't deserve to be treated that way. He didn't, though. Though he suffered, in some aspects, more than us, his companions, he cared for us, worried about us, protected us when he could. He was a light, a, a piece of civilization, a true kindness among the black, blackest night, the utterest hell and cruelty a man could inflict upon another man, and not even Hyler could beat it out of him. He was English, but I'm still not sure where he came from. Not really. He didn't belong there or then. He wasn't made for that time. A few years ago, Julian recorded his own story of that time for the archives at Yad Vashem in Israel. But Max was right. He wasn't made for that time. He was made for our time. And I, for one, am grateful that he chose to serve Starfleet, to serve this station, this crew. We were privileged to have had his medical expertise and talents. We were more gifted to count him a friend. Let us take a minute now to pray or to simply remember our departed friends, Colonel Kira Norris and Dr. Julian Bashir. This time, when Bashir went to see the leader, Nelati, he wore disposable gloves and booties over the, his other gloves and boots so he wouldn't need new boots or gloves when he left the room as last time. He had the disposables in the medical supplies meant for the outpost. He might as well use them. Nelati was reclining again. Her lesions were still black, though they oozed a greenish mucus he hadn't seen on Teflon Three. How are you feeling today? We itch she replied, though we resist scratching. I could try to find something to help with the itching, Bashir offered. Do the lesions hurt at all? No and no, she replied. We have limited time. Your priority is a cure. Secondary is a vaccine. Stopping the itch would only waste valuable glyph. Bashir nodded. 
I should take samples of your blood, your saliva, your breath, and I think the mucus from your lesions. He'd brought along a sample container for that purpose. It, it was also encased in a disposable bag. That would be wise, she said, sitting up straighter. Proceed. She held out one of her arms to him, and he drew ten cc's of her blood. He used a swab to dab the mucus from a lesion on her forearm and another for saliva from her mouth. Then he used a small tube to collect her breath. It would help, he told her, as he put the last sample into the container, if I knew exactly how you were infected. We believe it happened when the enemy tried to smother us, she answered, reclining again. It came to Nardanasti on the Vesmir. It was disguised as human, but apparently changed to Gidari in the city. It moved about easily after that, given our coverings. But it was discovered when it tried to pass through the gates. It lingered there, as, a, as Gidari must, but the gate malfunctioned due to finding the physiology incompatible. The being was detained. We are not concerned with your war, she went on, but of course we have done our research now. The being was brought to our presence just as you and the other were. But this being did not follow our customs. It did not drink from the fountain or bow properly. It demanded our surrender before it ever saw us. Leitner Nardek stood in my stead. She told it we surrendered to no one. That is when we showed ourselves. It did not expect our grandeur. Understandable, Bashir thought. Who would expect a giant female Gidari? Or her voices? When we attempted to strike it down, she continued, our weapon passed through it. It panicked then, and it became like... She hesitated. Liquid, Bashir suggested, viscous and translucent. When she nodded, he went on. We call them changelings. One of them is our chief of security, but the rest are the Dominion leaders. I've had run-ins with them in the past. One of them killed me. Did it cover your face and enter your mouth and nose? She asked. Bashir realized the changeling had physically delivered the pathogen. No, it pushed itself into my chest, he told her, and for a moment he was back in that empty barracks as Whaley Hyler had done the same, though with less damage. A painful death, she said. You have our sympathies for that. Your next death will not be painful. You will simply lie down amongst the trees and sleep. While that sounded better, it wasn't exactly what he wanted. How did you survive, he asked, turning her back to the subject at hand. Nardek. She was fast and drew her finritter from within her cloak. It became like ash, and we coughed it from our throat. The finritter must have been an energy weapon. It didn't hurt you when she fired? She waved a hand, dismissing it. A finritter will not harm Gidari, as it harms others. Coded to spare the species. Interesting. Did your healers determine how the virus was spread, how they got sick? It is contagious, she replied. You are wise to cover your boots. They were not so wise at first when they collected samples from the creature and from us. That explains the new boots and gloves. He'd suspected as much. It was the main reason why he didn't sit in this room with her. That and he didn't want to be disrespectful. How long until the lesions formed? Twenty glyph, twenty more, and they had lesions too. You should have access to all they learned. Thank you, Bashir told her. You do know that I found no cure on Teplon Three. She smiled lightly. Yes, but you found a vaccine, she said. That, too, is to be lauded. I have less time now than I had then, he reminded her. But now you mustn't stop to eat or to rest. And you have equipment that you did not have there. The equipment had made things worse there. Her expression didn't change. Is that why you left your scanning equipment behind today? Bashir nodded. We believe you only found issues with those that had quickened. We have not. Bashir offered her a slight smile in return. It's not exactly the same virus, but it makes sense that they'd leave that property in it. It not only sickened the inhabitants, it took away all their technological advances. The smile was gone. To rocks and stones, she agreed. That must not happen here. Is that why, he asked, you'll die if I don't find a cure in a week? That is why this body will die before you don't find a cure. I will die before you lay down to rest. So he had less than a week from the start, and he was down two days already. You have more confidence in me than I do. You do not give yourself enough credit, she told him. That vaccine will change the destiny of Teplon Three. 
There will come a time when they return to the sky and to the stars because of you. Bashir looked away because of Ikoria, her stamina and determination to see her baby born. Nailati surprised him then when she took one of his gloved hands in her enormous one. She would not have waded through that pain if she did not believe in you. Then she let go. We believe in you. Do your best. We have contingencies should you fail, but we do not wish to die. We hope you will succeed. Tarlingan took Kira first to the village, past the fountain with the fearsome fish in it and the writhing Malin Nostrov. Kira recognized the position he was in from Bashir's telling of his time in Auschwitz. Twice the changeling had hung him that same way. No wonder he had looked away. Tarlingan noticed her staring. He will be dead by nightfall, she said. It was so matter-of-fact, as if this hardlin was nothing more than a piece of meat. But Kira had questions. How did he remember Julian, and with the cloak on? We can see beneath the cloak, Tarlingan told her, and Ninrek melds the two beings. Harglin Nostroff was beyond remembering anything, so Malon's memories are dominant. The same happened with Harglin the Elder. He has many memories of your station's Justin Stingris, but they are only memories. He knows he is Gadari. Har Harglin the Younger knew this as well. He used Malon's memories to try and manipulate Bashir, to unsettle him. Please, follow me. It definitely had unsettled him, but that did explain a lot. Kira thought it was a good reason not to try the rit that ritual on murderers, but then Singris hadn't been one. They shouldn't have done that either. Still, she followed. She wasn't out there to worry about Malin's Gidari clone. Tarlingan turned right, away from the main thoroughfare, and Kira saw a somewhat familiar sight. There were three covered pavilions lined up parallel to each other in front of them, and in each were various stalls of produce and what Kira guessed were herbs. We should purchase one of each, Tarlingan said. We may need more than your basket. She picked up one of her own. Tarlingan didn't bother to bargain with any of the sellers. She simply offered a price, and they bowed their heads and gave her what she asked for. By the time they'd reached the end of the third row, both baskets were full and heavy. A brown-cloaked man met them there. Tarlingan gave him her basket, then took Kira's and gave that to him as well. Without a word, the man left, and Tarling Tarlingan picked up another basket for Kira. He will deliver them to the healer, she said. I have another idea. When Bashir had left the room, the disposable booties, gloves, and bag were taken away. Bashir went back to the laboratory and began analyzing the samples from Nailati. He found the pathogen in her, both her blood and the mucus. It was not in her breath or saliva. That was interesting, but also helpful. It meant she couldn't transmit the virus from coughing or speaking. It could only be from the oozing of her lesions or her blood, at least with her. She was, of course, not representative of all Ghidari. Her DNA was changed during symbiosis. Bashir checked the computer for notes from the two healers who had been killed after contracting the virus. He barely had to search. The computer did a good job of intuiting what he w would want or need. The results for those two were different. Their legions had been dry. No mucus was collected. The virus, however, was in their breath as well as in their blood. It had become airborne. While it was possible that the healers had touched Nailati's mucus or blood, it made more sense that they had contracted the virus directly from the changeling. Perhaps they had breathed in some of the ash when they rushed to help their stricken leader. But Tarlingan had been there, too. He had questions to ask when Kira returned. For now, he ran tests using computer simulations to see what effects the various samples Kira had collected the evening before would have on the virus itself. Hour after hour stretched by, leading him one way only to be disappointed, then another that ultimately failed. He remembered the trial and error on Teplon three. In the end, his accidental vaccine had come from simple ingredients in certain proportions. It had taken weeks, not hours, so he kept at it until the chronometer told him it was evening, and still Kira had not come back, to, though two baskets of produce and leafy plants were delivered to his door. From the market, they had stopped at what Kira would have called a pub. It was dark inside, so that Kira could barely count the patrons indulging themselves at the bar or at little round tables. Being that they were now indoors, Kira removed her hood. No one seemed to notice at first. The place was noisy from everyone talking at the same time. One of them looked at the door. All the talking stopped as the blue 
Every blue face turned to stare at her and Tarlingan. It's either my face or the colors of our robes, Kira thought. One Gidari, perhaps the owner of the establishment, rushed forward and began to bow, but Tarlingan waved him up. I am here for the midday meal, Glingson. Nothing more. Of course, Leitner. Your usual choice again today? He followed them to an empty table with two stools. Yes, they'll bring a second utensil. Glingson left the table and Tarlingan addressed Kira. I thought you might like to taste some of our foods. I can assure you it tastes better than that nut. She even smiled a little. Kira's eyebrows shot up. Anything would taste better than that nut, she replied. Why not? You have no need of sustenance, Tarlingan reminded her, but you seem to be enjoying the opportunity to experience my world. I guess the Federation's love of exploration has rubbed off on me, Kira admitted. I've never seen a planet that was so similar and yet so completely different before. We have villages like this one on Bajor, but the colors are so different, more green and brown. Here the colors are what we'd see in the autumn before the leaves fall off the trees. There are places where leaf falling happens, Tarlingan commented. Glingson brought a plate piled high with meat, produce, and what might have been cheese. He handed Kira a utensil, something between a fork and a knife. But Nodgarin is in a tropical valley. It is only ever cold high in the mountains. You may cut a morsel from anything you'd like to try. Glingson returned with two glasses of a purple liquid. Tarlingan held her cup up. Wine from one of the flowers you picked yesterday. Kira picked up her own glass. Wouldn't be the one that hit me, would it? Tarlingan laughed. <laughs> the same. Taste, you may decide it was worth the beating. So Kira did. It was sweet and fruity, but it also made her tongue tingle a bit. Tarlingan moved her plate more to the center of the table, so Kira took the offer. The meat tasted like many other meats she'd had, but the spices on it were different. They gave it a smoky, somewhat peachy taste. She tried a little of everything while Tar Tarlingan ate heartily. So, Nardek, Kira said. Any relation to Sanglin Nardek, the captain of the Gindaran? Tarlingan nodded, then washed down her bite of food with a gulp of wine. My brother. He is older by five years. Our family is quite proud of his achievements. Yours too, I would think, Kira replied, taking another sip herself. Being a lightener and all. What is a lightener, anyway? Yes, they are proud. A lightener is a close advisor and attendant to our leader. You have seen red cloaks as well. Those are of the religious order. Black and red are the royal guards. Kira nodded. Beige is military. Gray are regular workers. Brown? Servants of the palace. They represent many different responsibilities. She finished the last of her wine and stood. She put two coins on the table. Here in Nodgarin, anyway. There is some variation in other cities. Remember to cover before we go outside. Kira nodded and followed her out the door. Covered, of course. Tarlingan took her back to the train station, for lack of a better term. We shall go to another city, one where many medicines are manufactured. We shall get samples of all of them. Captain Sisko knew he should go home for dinner, but he was having a hard time leaving his desk. He kept seeing Kira and Julian's deaths in his mind. Kira deserved to die in battle. Julian, well, he should have grown old and died in peace. Neither deserved what they got. There was a chime in his door. Come, was all he said. He didn't even look up to see who it was. How are you doing, Benjamin? Esri. I could ask you the same thing, old man. It hurts, she admitted, coming farther into the room. The door closed behind her and she sat down on the couch. I know it will pass. It's a familiar hurt, but it feels like it will last forever. Sisko left his desk to join her there. I've lost a lot of people since this war began, and before. Only Jennifer has hurt more. It's not just that they're gone, she added. It's how. Especially for Julian. Did you know Hyler had done that to him? Extruded a thin worm of herself into his chest, wrapped around his heart, and squeezed? I think this one did more than that. Esri went on. Kira killed Hyler in 1943. How could they possibly know to do that now? We destroyed the rest of the changelings on their ship when they arrived in that year. She had no contact with the Link. How could they know? Sisko shook his head. I don't know. Maybe Kira told Odo at some point, and when he linked? Maybe, she said. Either way, it's, it was just cruel. They could have just shot him like they did Kira. They also made Odo a solid, Sisko offered. They have a cruel streak. I wish I hadn't seen it. She wiped a tear from her cheek. 
but I'm also glad I did. We couldn't know it, but maybe if somehow he could, he might not have felt alone. Cisco put his arm around her. She was the old man he'd remembered through three hosts now, but she was also a young woman who never bargained on being joined. He wasn't. Kira wanted to go with him, to be there for him as a friend. She did that. She was there right to the end. I miss him, she said as she started to cry for real. I miss her too, but I miss him. <laughs> Me too. He squeezed her shoulder. At least Kira went quick. Still, neither one deserved that. Sisko felt his own cheek become wet. After they had both cried a bit, Sisko stood and offered her his hand. Jake is making dinner tonight, he said. Why don't you come too? Esri nodded and took his hand. When Kira finally returned, both she and Leitner Nardek were carrying crates, crates of medicines, mainly antivirals used to fight other diseases, more materials to add to the search for a cure or vaccine. Tarlingan turned to leave, but Bashir caught her arm. Forgive me, could you stay a while? I have some questions about the day the enemy attacked your leader. Of course, she replied as she shut the door. Please, sit, Bashir suggested. She did so. You were in the room when it happened. You killed the shapeshifter with your finritter. Yes, she replied. Then she pulled a device from her cloak. It is a directed energy weapon, not unlike your phaser. She put it away. The changeling had moved up to the leader's face, he said, motioning with his one hand. When you killed it, the ash had come down, in the air. What did you do then? First, the liquid splattered outward, then it turned to ash that fell and floated in the air. I was not standing near when I fired. I stepped back more. The leader was coughing. I called for her healers. They came to aid her. Right away? Bashir asked, while the ash was still in the air. Some... Tarlingan replied. Most was on the floor. The leader was still coughing. More ash came from her. But was she exposed? You were covered. All are covered in that room, even the healers, though doubtless they uncovered when they saw her in distress and rushed her to her living quarters. Bashir was starting to get the fuller picture. These were the two healers who contracted the illness. Yes, she answered. More healers were brought in after the leader became ill. And they worked closely with the first healers? Of course. They did not become ill for some glyph after. All were sequestered after that point. So they are in quarantine now? Bashir asked. Are any of the others ill? Not as yet. I am sure they would wish to aid you in your efforts. I can put you in contact with them. That surprised Bashir, and he wondered why that hadn't been brought up yet. Please do. Tarlingan stood and moved to the computer. She pressed a few controls and an image appeared. It was a room with just under a dozen Ghidori men and women. One moved closer to the camera. Yes, Leitner, may we be of service? Yes, she replied. She indicated him standing beside her and behind her. Healer Bashir welcomes your input. Are all of you still well? One of our number was removed one glyph ago. That is regrettable. You have data from that individual? Bashir decided he had to interrupt. That can't happen. Excuse me. The man said. Removing, Bashir replied. I assume that means killing. It needs to stop. They can be quarantined in a second room, perhaps. He took a deep breath. We will need to test any possible remedy before giving it to the leader. I will make that known, Tarlingan replied. She turned back to the healer. Notify me of any sick individuals. We will find them another place. Yes, Leitner, the healer replied. And we do have data. We have added this data to the data collected from the first two healers. I see that he is honored. Also regrettable. Tarlingan commented. Thus our time is limited. Someone must be ready to answer his calls at any hour. It will be so, Leitner. We who remain stand ready to aid him in the achievement of his purpose. Good evening, Tarlingan said, and Bashir realized she was ending the conversation. Good evening, Leitner, the man replied, and the view of the room winked out. Tarlingan pushed a few more controls, and a shortcut of sorts appeared on the screen so he could call them later. She turned back to him, still leaning against the counter. Do you have more questions? A few, Bashir told her. Is this the same cloak you were wearing that day? No, that and all that I was wearing were destroyed. I was unclothed upon leaving the room. Bashir looked over what part of her skin he could see. I see no lesions on your face. Are there any on the rest of your body? No, I was tested when the first healers became ill. But you may test again if you wish. Please. He pulled his sample container close and pulled a swab. Open your mouth. She complied, and he took a sample of her saliva. He had her breathe into the tube and took a quick sample of blood from her neck. It was not the usual location, but she apparently hadn't wanted to pull back the sleeves of her cloak. 
He moved behind her to load the samples into the computer for analysis. It only took a few seconds for the computer to render its verdict. Negative for the virus. No virus found, he told her. That is reassuring. She stepped away from the counter. I don't think the leader infected the healers, Bashir told her. Not directly. Only perhaps when she was coughing the ash. The virus was in the changeling, and it was in the ash of that changeling. That's how your leader was infected. And the ash in the air and coming from her throat was what infected the healers. However, that's when things changed. He pulled up the result of the leader's samples on one side of the screen and those of the now three healers on the other. It was in the healer's lungs. It is not in the leader's lungs. She cannot transmit the virus from coughing or breathing. The healers, however, likely infected all the other healers because it was in their lungs. It became airborne. It is in both the blood of the leader and the healers. It is also in the mucus leaking from the leader's legions. Only contact with that mucus or blood can transmit the virus from her. The healers, though, if they'd gone home to their families. Tarlingan nodded, but didn't say anything for a moment. But it is, in, it is in the leader's blood. That is helpful to know. She turned to leave again, but stopped. I am relieved I am not infected. It was a trying day when the in enemy came here. Isn't it always, he thought? I'm sure it was. It is good that the other healers are sequestered. They were not in physical contact with anyone else? No, she turned back to him. And the room was sanitized every inch, as you say, every weapon from ceiling to floor. Good to know. Otherwise, he and Kira might have been vectors for the virus to spread. How long have they been quarantined in there? Two days. Have you any more questions? I would take my meal and rest. Bashir shook his head. No more questions. You've been very helpful. Thank you again. It is my duty to aid you. No thanks are necessary. Then she turned and left. Kira had been sitting, watching the whole time. Should we check your blood, just to be safe? Don't have any, he reminded her, but I checked the other things as well. It's specific to the Gidari. We can't catch it. But if we were to visit the, those other healers in person, we could carry it away with us nonetheless. The changeling hadn't known the leader would be different, but those healers, they would have been the vector by which it spread. They take it home with them, infect their families. Their families go about their business, infecting others. It would have spread exponentially from there. But they haven't been to see their families, and they've been removed up to now if they've showed any infection. This virus is effectively finished on Gidar. Unless the leader's virus mutates, she cannot infect anyone without swapping blood or licking her mucus. Won't they have to swap some blood to put that symbiont into someone else, she asked. Bashir sat down beside her. Yes, but surely they'd do so in a sterile environment under anesthesia and careful sanitation procedures. Kira's eyebrows raised. You'd hope, but the Gidari don't strike me as a do-it-in-surgery type. What they did to Stingris wasn't sterile. He was in his own bed. Kira helped by opening and sorting all the medicines while he quizzed the healers in their quarantine room. He let them sleep after an hour or two, and Kira sat back and watched him try combination after combination. She literally had nothing better to do. I might have made friends with Leitner Tarlingan today, she said to make conversation. Really? He didn't turn away from the computer. I found out that the captain of the Gindaran is her older brother, and that Leitners are the closest advisors to the leader. She shared her lunch with me. He turned his head to look at her. You ate? Did you get hungry? No, I just tasted some meat, some vegetables, she told him, and wine from that flower that slaps you when you try to pick it. Bashir eyed some of the fruits and vegetables from the market. I wouldn't know which could be eaten raw, she added, just in case you're curious. Mildly, he admitted. He sat down beside her, but I'm fairly certain there's a tear in my esophagus. Not sure where a bite would end up. That wasn't where she'd wanted the discussion to go, but she didn't shy away from it. If he needed to talk about what happened, she'd listen. You scanned yourself. I was curious, he replied, so softly he'd almost whispered it. I knew what it felt like, but I wasn't sure. Nerves are different in there. What's the verdict? Heart's a lost cause, he told her, although he damaged my left lung and plenty of smaller structures along the way. Blood vessels, muscles, my diaphragm, ribs, and skin. I think I'm only able to breathe precisely because I don't need to. That got her curious. What about me? He grabbed his medical tricorder and gave her a scan. Right lung and descending aorta. I could fix that in 30 minutes in the infirmary back home. That gave her an idea. What about here? 
He turned to face her. Here? You'd need a full complement of blood, too. I could fix the damage, but you'd still be dead. She met his gaze. Why? She didn't wait for him to answer. I mean, if the damage was fixed and I got the blood, would I still be dead then, hypothetically? Hypothetically? He stood and walked a few steps. He was thinking. No, I can't see why you would be. She stood up, too, and stood in front of him. Julian, we can get the blood when we get back to Deep Space Nine. She touched his arm. Maybe we don't have to be dead. Well, there we go. The first new chapter of The Honored. And I personally don't feel like it skips a beat from where it left off. And that's probably because I familiarized myself again with what I'd written before. And, you know, I read it. <laughs> I read what I wrote before, you know, probably looked and see if there's anything to tweak, and then I started writing. And it felt right. I, we do need to check in with the station a, a little bit now and then because we need to know how people are dealing with it. But the real story is on Ghidor. And now Kira has something to do by going out and having this adventure of collecting samples. It's kind of an excuse for her to see the world and an adventure, but it is necessary. You know, in recent years, we've been finding out that deadly venoms from different animals in the sea or snakes can be medicines and help people live. Um, we have found a ton of medicines in the, um, the rainforest with the animals and plants. There are compounds in this world that we have, you know, overlooked for so many times that turned out to be incredible um, medicines. And there's, there are people looking at this stuff even now. So, yes, that is a place that needs to be looked at um, for possible solutions. The medicines that they already have, something may prove useful. The samples from nature, there might be a compound out there that could help us find a cure or, or vaccine. So that's what they are doing. Bashir is doing all the calculations and the trials and all that, and Kira's going out there to find the stuff. And Tarlingan is taking it with her. He gets to talk to the leader. She gets to talk to Tarlingan. And I think even in chapter two, we saw that when he was alone with the leader in her room, she's much more personable. And also, I hope I made it clear, but if I haven't, the honored means that Kira and Bashir are not aliens and the um, soldier that they followed out of the ship told them that they are honored among the Gidari so they are Gidari in a sense to the Gidari they are at the level of Gidari and they are quite high status in the Gidari so they are not aliens aliens to the Gidari are pond scum or worse so <laughs> they are very ethnocentric, but because Bashir and Kira are honored, they are elevated to the level of Gidari and high-status Gidari at that. So the aloofness they use with other aliens like Captain Sisko, it's not there. It's not there because they're not aliens to the Gidari. They're different, surely, and Tarlingan talked with Bashir and Kira about that a little bit, but they're, they're, they're Gidari to them, and the way the Gidari think, they're perfectly, you know, they have no thought that they're going to do anything but go to that valley with the trees and lay down and, and go to sleep after, so they don't have to hide anything from Bashir and Kira. They're not going to go back to their people and tell them all about the Ghidari <laughs> or Ghidar. They don't have to worry about that now. I mean, they didn't want him to come honored, but he did. So it's a bonus for them.
because he's not an alien and he's not going anywhere and he can stay up all night and not sleep he can he can work 24 25 26 however many hours a day he can use them all and he has no drop in energy or anything that glowy stuff inside them is pretty amazing stuff so it makes sense then that you know they're going to treat Bashir and Kira different than they did all the other people that came about Tarlingan is the liaison. She has to work directly with these. She, her initial duty was with aliens, but now they're honored among the Ghidori. Makes it easier. But she was always going to be a little bit more, you know, a little less ethnocentric in that, in her dealings with them because they needed their help. But the leader... Again, you know, she treats even the Ghidori kind of off hand because she has to be set apart. She has to instill this wonder and awe, but Bashir needs to work with her closely. So she's dropping all that with him. And he's only got a short time, so she can't afford all that pompous decorum stuff with him because he's got very little time to do the work. They don't have time for bowing and all that jazz all the time. When he's in front of others with her, he should bow. But when he's alone with her, just, you know, get on with it. Because even though he doesn't need to rest and everything, he has limited time. So, three, third chapter is done. It didn't feel as long as chapter two, but it was longer, actually. <laughs> I My text editor that I write in doesn't tell me word count automatically. It tells me line count. And there are 749 lines in chapter three. And there are, oh, no, I was wrong. My cursor wasn't all the way at the bottom. It was not as long. There were 1,000 lines in chapter two. <laughs> so 1,077. So it was a very long chapter. So, well, back then, I had just written Osviantium, so Osviantium and if, it not, if It's Not One Thing have very long chapters. I wanted them to be like reading a book, and a book does not have three-page chapters if it's good. The Laertian Gamble had a half-page chapter. It was a terrible book for many other reasons, including that. But online sometimes you can have short chapters, and I've had shorter chapters even amongst the long ones. So, say most of my chapters in a, in a novel were roughly 10,000, 7,000, 7 to 10,000 words, and then I have a 5,000 word chapter. It can happen. But generally, I tried to keep, I, I, I kind of aim, you know, like, well, before I had this many words, that many lines as I'm typing, I kind of aim for the same thing, somewhere near it. It doesn't have to be exact. Somebody on one of the Facebook posts asked about that length when writing or reading does the length of a chapter throw you off or what do you like and I wrote that when I write I end the chapter where it ends I don't write thinking oh well it has x number of scenes now it's ready it's time to end it I get a feeling where it's almost time to end it and I write the end but I end it where it needs to be ended now, I don't still have chapter one up, but I do have the prologue and chapter two and chapter three up. And the prologue ended with them being dead. It was a long prologue as prologues go, but that was the place to end it. The shocking thing, they're dead. Chapter two ends up with... Um, them telling each other about what they learned and then Bashir, you know, calculating how much, just how much time he had left before his second life follows his first. And then chapter three ends with Kira thinking, Julian, we can get the blood when we go back to Deep Space Nine. Maybe we don't have to be dead with this thought. See, you want to end a chapter with something poignant like that. It doesn't have to be a deep 
cliffhanger. Chapter two didn't end on a deep cliffhanger. But this, this chapter ending maybe makes you think, huh, maybe they don't have to be dead, but they're on Ghidor. They're a long way from Deep Space Nine. So, you know, the poignancy makes you think. Cliffhangers are fun and definitely an evil way to go, and I don't shy away from them, from them when they happen, but they're not going to be every single time. Um, they don't have to be every single time as long as you have some kind of poignancy. Some place where, yes, this is the end. So write your chapter to the point where it ends. That's part of how I knew and when I was trying to write amends and I just kept writing scenes and writing scenes and writing scenes and it wasn't going particularly anywhere and it wasn't ending. And I knew that there's something wrong here. It ended up being background knowledge and the story ended or started right about where that ended and used it as background knowledge. And it was kind of an interesting thing that didn't normal, that's not normally how I write, but it is the way I wrote that one. So it seems some of the Bucky ones are going that way. It's weird. Bucky is making me write different. <laughs> Strange, but it is. It didn't happen when I went back to write the, the, the um, Finding Home or the Momentous. So it's just in these Bucky ones that I'm writing differently. Go figure. Writing is magic. <laughs> so I don't fully understand all of it, why I do one thing one way or the other, because I write by magic. So, okay then. I probably did compose the prologue chapter one and two on computer, because that's what I was doing back when Austria and Shim was around, so that's probably what happened. But chapters three through eight were written in the composition book that I've been in for, gosh, at least, at least 2004. It might have been before that, but I know that Alien Us is in composition books. M several, because it's so long. Um, it, you know, it, it, it wouldn't fit in one. And I write small. It still wouldn't fit in one. And I prefer the college-lined composition books. So, yeah, smaller print. But or cursive, but in my hands now with my thumb being um, arthritic, I may have to work myself back to composing on computer. And the good news there is that the ending of chapter 10, the last third or so that I wrote in the composition book turned out not to feel quite right. And so I moved it to an, uh, another file, just open a new tab in, in Super Note tab, and started writing on the computer to compose the new draft of that ending. And it worked. So there's hope there. And if you're wondering about that app that I just mentioned, Super Note tab, I don't know if you can even find it out there. You could email me at inhildy at gmail.com and I can send you a zipped up copy, I suppose. It's just a very small program. In fact, you don't run a shortcut from it. You just run it, supernotetab.exe or whatever it is. And it's like Notetab or, or Notepad in Outlook, or excuse me, in, um, in Windows rather. So it's like Notepad except Notepad Notepad has a limit in how many words you can put into one document. Supernote tab does not. For multiple files in Note tab, you'd have multiple windows of Notepad. Supernote tab lets you use tabs. So you can open many tabs. And after you make edits, like, I've got edits to, because um, I found some typos in Chapter 3, I've got the text document and the HTML document there. There's a Save All button. Click. They're both saved. 
it has a button that lets me view that HTML directly in a web browser to test it. And it's got find and replace, which is wonderful. So it's, it's not a big fancy word editor. It's a text editor. It has no fancy text. But because I post in HTML, this is right for me. This is where it needs to be because that HTML, I can use find and replace to change everything to HTML. How do I do that? So I've got the text document and then I've, I open up a previous chapter and I can copy the header information and the footer information from the HTML of that other chapter into a new document. Then I copy and paste the body, the text of the chapter into that new document between the header and the footer. Obviously I change the, make sure that the chapter name has the right name, but I do that. So now you got HTML at the top and HTML at the bottom, but plain text in between. Well then I have a file called convert and in there I have the exact coding I need to have to change every double space and tab. So every scene break into a paragraph, horizontal line, paragraph in HTML, which is bracket P, bracket HR, bracket P, right? And pop those in there. Then I go back and I edit that down a little bit. So I'm looking for every line break now. Every line break is replaced with just P. So it just gets that bracket P, that paragraph, and boom, my document is now HTML. The way I do my, my italics in text is at the beginning I put an asterisk, at the end I put two asterisks. Why? Because find and replace would find every asterisk. So you start with the more. You start with finding the two asterisks and replace it with the closed I tab, ta uh, which is bracket slash I bracket, right? And you find all that and you close all the, H, uh, the italics and then you go back and you do one asterisk and the open tab, which is bracket I bracket. Boom. Now all my italics are like that. Any diacritical characters? Find and replace. There you go. <laughs> it is super easy. It's fast. And now my document is completely in HTML. Then I can save that as an HTML document and I can upload it to fanfiction.net or I can just copy and paste the whole thing into a new chapter in AO3 and boom, it's done. It's a very easy way to do HTML into my documents and now they're formatted properly. So yeah, I use SuperNoteTab. I don't use Word, I don't use Google Docs, I don't use any of that. I use SuperNoteTab. It's, it's really easy. You can put that little program on a flash drive and run it on any computer. It is super easy and I love it. I've had it for years, probably back to like Windows 95. Okay, I've had it for a very long time and it just continues to work. So there you are. If you want to learn HTML and you think it's hard, it isn't. Now the fancy schmancy stuff is hard, but the basic HTML is actually quite easy. And I learned it in three days while I was working. I was working as a temp. So I remember I was, um, I was collating like folders. So I'd lay out all the pages and I'd open a folder and then slide one, two, three, you know, all the way down the table, the documents in them, close them up, do it again. Brain did not have to be engaged for that. So I had the book nearby and I was just reading and the book I had was called Creating Web Pages Simplified. Now it, you can find other books in or other skills simplified and what it does, it takes like these cartoon characters and it shows you at the top of the page what the text is supposed to look like and at the bottom of the page what it will produce. And it's very simple. It just takes you through a few tags here and there, here and there. And you can go home and open up your text editor and you can do it and test it. Boom, it works just like they said. So you can change the text color. You can do a new paragraph. You can do italics. You can do bold. You can do underlines. You can do superscripts. You can do subscripts. 
you can you can do all that and you can even I believe do tables with creating web pages simplified tables can be very very useful you can use them for formatting an entire web page they don't just have to be like an Excel spreadsheet on your on your screen they can do that but you can make a table and put whole sections of your web page in it but just remove the borders and you can't see the table but it allows you to keep this text over here and that text over there make a column over here and do that it, it allows you to format that I once you well when I was doing the um, alt start no the MIFA awards the Middle Earth Fan Fiction Awards I used I used find and replace and um, mail merge in Word, <laughs> mail merge in Word, not find and replace, tables and mail merge in Word to collect all of the feedback, for instance, and post them on the web page and turn them into HTML. All the, the data was the, you know, the, the name of the story <clears throat> and the author and the comment and then, or whatever, and you put those in the mail merge fields and it's going to make one long document. But what I want it, it to do in the mail merge uh, fields is to have the right coding around each section. The P tag, the I tag, the whatever tags I need. And so actually it would just, I needed it to write the top of the, the web page and the bottom of the web page and then just drop in because it was all like in table. So it was TD for the table data, table table, table table, table row, table data. It was all in, you know, the find the the word the mail merge was making the table data. So I just had to plop it into the document of my word my my web page and boom, it was done and formatted. Because tables can do that. So you you could think outside the box with what you can do with a table in HTML. So if creating web pages simplified doesn't cover tables look online they're they're not that hard and you know you can find tutorials for html online basic html i would say up to tables is really really easy to do links and and putting pictures in is all covered in basic ahref or Im image source they're all in there and it's really worth it to learn. I've had, I've seen posts where people are concerned about how to format their their stories in HTML in uh, AO3 with pictures. Well, you can't do that with a Word document or rich text. You need HTML to do it. So it's worth it to do, you know, to learn basic HTML. It's easy. You could do it on a weekend. It's just, it's super easy. Um, give it a shot. Paragraph, for instance, the P tag is the one tag that you don't have to do at the stop and the start. It just, it, they got it smart, so it knows if you have a P tag, you're going to start a new paragraph anyway. But, you know, everything, like the bold italics and the, soup, and, the, and the underline, you turn it on, you turn it off. Centering, you turn it on, you turn it off. Align right or left, you turn it on, you turn it off. And you turn it off with that slash. It's the same tag, but with the slash before the text. So it's turn it on, turn it off. It's easy. It's, it's really a, an easy skill to learn, and you can make your documents look how you want. So all my AO3 documents where I have covers, I have put in the images of those covers. I put in, like, transparent logos of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and such. I have made my... Um, my uh, books of Osvianchim, if it's not one thing, and Alien Us through blurb.com, and I used those temp uh, transparent um, logos to put, make those look like the professional books. Not the whole thing, but you know, just the Star Trek Deep Space Nine and the Star Trek Enterprise. So, um, yeah, transparent gifts are pretty cool. Because they can fit any background and they just, you know, have the, you know, you don't have like a white, you know, rectangle with them in there. You just have a, a transparent triangle with them in there. And so that's really nice. So if you want to put covers on your stories on AO3, learn HTML. It's really quite easy. And if you would like a copy, just a, 
I copy it to, uh, you know, as, put it in a Windows zip file and email you a copy of Super Note Tab, email me at inhildy at gmail.com and ask for me for it. If uh, You might be able to find it out there on the internet, supernotetab.exe. It has a couple of little um, helper files in the whole program, but it's, it's, it's super small. Um, it's very easy then to use. So if you'd like, you know, ask me and I will, I will make sure that you get a copy or find it out there on the internet somewhere. Um, you can also tweet me at Inhildi. So that's I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I. I really would love to hear from you. Thank you. See you tomorrow, I hope. Bye.